Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, you know what it's time for? Slash and dash! Slash and dash! So... Our top city was Chicago. Well done. Um, I Good mean, work. in terms of... Chicago. Murders. You've got it all. So this was a real tough one to pick. We have a cacophony of murders to choose from. It must be something about... I mean, I don't know what Chicago's like. I hear it's windy. Maybe maybe it is the wind. Like Kids go crazy in the wind. Kids go crazy in the wind. If it's windy, they come back from playtime, like, off oh, their tits. Yeah. Kids are naughty when it's windy. We've cracked it. Stop the wind. Stop the murders. Yeah. Make Chicago great again. Just put like one big windbreak around Chicago. Yeah. Just wall it in. <laughs> I can't stop. <laughs> so um, we've managed to choose one, and this story I'll be reading comes from thelineup.com, and it is the story of a couple of killers. Leopold and Loeb. Some of you may know it. (laughs) So, it was 1920s Chicago. Two brilliant and twisted young men were convinced they could get away with murder. Richard Loeb, 18, came from an affluent family. His father was the VP of Sears. (gasps) I've heard of that. Scandal. The young man was handsome. That's subjective. (laughs) And personable skipping several grades to become the youngest graduate from the University of Michigan. Is Chicago in Michigan? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Nobody knows the state. Calamity Jane goes to Chicago. Even Americans And don't she know sings the about Illinois. Mm. I only know the bits I've been to. So anyway, soon, however, Loeb's dark side emerged. He took to heavy drinking and gambling and withdrew from family obligations. Well, every teenager's that. I'm not going to grandma's house. Yeah. Fuck that. Oh, do the fuck you, man. I used to be to do everything. The only items that seemed to interest him were detective novels and, and wanking. <laughs> now that would be a killer mix. But just det- <laughs> detective novels and crime stories. Which, if you're listening to this, is probably you as well. Yep. So we should be worried. Um, 19-year-old Nathan Leopold also came from a wealthy household with an intellect that surpassed that of Loeb's. He spoke his first words at four months. Bullshit. And <laughs> parents will always like say word. stuff like that. Yeah, he was talking at four He months. said, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a made-up language that he's developed himself. He's producing a glossary in Play-Doh. <laughs> um, he had an IQ of 210. That's, fuck me. That's pretty high. And was a nationally recognised 
ornithologist by the time he completed his degree (laughs) at the University of Chicago. Was that like a bird person? Yeah. So he put that into a good use. I know all about all of the birds. I know every bird that's too far away to actually hold. In his spare time, Leopold obsessively read through Nietzsche's theory of the Ubermensch transcendent ultramen whose advanced minds and extraordinary capabilities allowed them to watch birds to live above the law oh he watches birds (laughs) the young student was convinced he possessed such qualities when he reconnected with charismatic childhood friend Richard Loeb on the campus of the University of Chicago it was clear he'd found his deadly double I mean they do look kind of similar it's kind of adorable really He's like, you wear the bow tie, I'll wear the tie. You, I mean, it looks, the pictures of them together looks like an album cover for Wham. Oh, yeah, or Sad FM. I mean, they look... Sad FM. They look kind of, I mean... Dork. If a monobrow is a sign of intelligence, yeah, then he then, was amazing. Yeah. So armed with delusions of grandeur, Leopold and Loeb embarked on a campaign of petty crime, arson, theft and fraternity house break-ins. It wasn't long before they grew bored of such misdeeds, especially since their attempts at notoriety failed to make it into the papers. It was then that Loeb revealed his plan for the perfectly executed murder, one that would prove the pair's intellectual superiority. I mean, if you're really that smart, the answer is... Don't do a murder. Yeah. You don't want to convince people of how clever you are... By doing a stupid thing. By doing a murder. Yeah. Unless it's, like, someone that everyone wants to kill then that might be... Yeah, if it's like, I'm going to murder someone who's invisible. Or like, I'm going to murder Hitler. But they weren't going to go for that. They were going to go for a fucking easy target because they decided they would kidnap and kill a child from a wealthy household. Oh, well, yeah, that's great, isn't it? Everyone's going to really look up to you then. Yeah. They were going to squeeze the family for ransom through a series of complicated instructions. Oh, bloody hell. The money would eventually be thrown from a moving train, leaving little room for an ambush by police. What? So they won't have a drop point. They'll be like, just chuck it from a train and, and we'll find we'll it. We'll catch it. The pair planned their thrill kill through the winter and spring of 1924. Well, that's not right because spring's after winter, so it'd be 24 and 24. Not in America, it's not. In backwards land. <laughs> Where guns are good and tea is bad. Tea is sweet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nope. <laughs> They purchased a murder weapon, a chisel, and used a typewriter stolen from one of the fraternity houses to type out their ransom instructions. Dear sir, proceed immediately to the back platform of the train. Watch the east side of the track. Have your package ready. Look for the first large red brick. Those were in capitals, large red brick. Factory situated immediately adjoining the tracks on the east. On top of this factory, there's a large black water tower. They didn't put that in capitals. They weren't bothered about that. There's a large black water tower with the word champion written on it. Wait until you have completely passed the south end of the factory. Count five very rapidly, then immediately throw the package as far east as you can. As far east as you can. As far east as you can. Everything these. And why like these certain words are in capitals? Is it like if you only read those words and it says something else? large red brick completely immediately no remember that this is your only chance to recover your son George truly George Johnson yeah that's not your name as for their victim 
After stalking the grounds of Chicago's Harvard School for Boys, Leopold and Loeb found their target in 14-year-old Bobby Franks. Bobby was the son of a wealthy watch manufacturer and Loeb's own cousin. On May 21st, 1924, Leopold and Loeb were in a rental car when they came upon Bobby as he rode his bike home from school. The pair slowed and offered the boy a ride. Bobby declined at first, but after some convincing, climbed into the front seat. Loeb, sitting in the back, struck Franks in the head several times with a chisel. He then dragged Bobby to the back seat where he shoved a rag in his mouth, suffocating the boy. The freshly minted killers drove 20 miles to Hammond. I don't see how. They haven't driven east yet (laughs) and completely caught the money. (laughs) But they drove 20 miles to Hammond, Indiana, where they waited until nightfall to dispose of the body. First, oh, so they were never going to give him back. First, they poured hydrochloric acid onto Bobby's face and and a distinct abdominal scar. Then they dumped the corpse in a culvert. News of the disappearance spread quickly. Upon return to Chicago, Leopold called the boy's mother as George Johnson. He then told her that Bobby Franks had been kidnapped and a detailed ransom note would follow. After the phone call, Leopold and Loeb burned their bloody clothing and scrubbed the blood from their rental car. Leopold's chauffeur... Oh, they had a chauffeur. (laughs) He was like, why'd you take the car? Leopold's chauffeur saw them hosing down the car in the driveway and offered to help. You would definitely be... If you've got a chauffeur whose job it is to do car shit, you'd be really suspicious if the teenage son who loves Nietzsche is hosing down a car. These people are stupid. Just like, don't do any of these things. They're all bad ideas and no one will respect you for them. But Leopold declined. It's just red wine. Until the driveway. I just drove into some red wine. (laughs) Called over the front of my car. To Leopold and Loeb, the murder was going exactly as they had planned it. Little did they know that Bobby's body had already been found. The next day, Leopold called the Franks household and told Bobby's father, Jacob Franks, to get into a yellow cab and await further instructions. But Mr. Franks had just received a phone call from the police informing him of his son's death. So a worker in Hammond had spotted the boy's fucking foot sticking out of the culvert Jacob refused the ride Leopold and Loeb knew something was up the duo destroyed any evidence they thought might link them to crime the stolen typewriter, the chisel a bloodied robe back at the crime scene, authorities uncovered a distinct pair of eyeglasses near the body Oh, they're not very good at this are they? and what are they going to do, erase the chauffeur's memory as well (laughs) they traced the eyeglasses to an optical shop that had sold the set to just three people, one being Nathan Leopold. Police questioned the young man who fessed up to owning the glasses and claimed he may have dropped them during a bird-watching trip. Unsurprisingly, the cops are suspicious. What are you really doing? Bird-watching is for wankers, really. As in, like, they sit in those little huts. They have those little huts with a peephole in, and it's basically so they can stare at people and wank in public. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> no it's not it's not but one time I was at uh, guy. but no one under the age of 40 does bird watching what no but what they do do is dry hump in the bird watching huts I've been to several country parks where in the little bird watching hut there were like teenagers just going at it yeah I can see that gene friction so anyway on May 29th Leopold and Loeb were hauled in for questioning they maintained on the night of the murder they were driving Leopold's personal car and partying with two women yeah right <laughs> But the family chauffeur had another story to tell. Leopold's car was locked in the garage all evening. 
It didn't take long for Leopold and Loeb to crack under questioning. Within ten days of Bobby's death, the self-proclaimed supermen confessed to being common killers, both attempting to pin the actual murder on the other. So not only did they crack, they were like, yeah, it was him, it was him. Like, Ugh. for all their intellect, they have no strength of mind. The subsequent trial was a media circus dubbed the crime of the century by the papers. The public was simultaneously fascinated and repulsed by the pair of young, well-educated men who viewed the killing of a child as an intellectual exercise. During the trial, Leopold reportedly referred to the slaying as an experiment. It's just as easy to justify such a death, he told his lawyer, as it is to justify an entomologist killing a beetle on a pin. Their lawyer, incidentally, was the high-profile criminal attorney Clarence Darrow. Had to do a lot about him in ethics. Quite geeky about this. <laughs> he was staunchly opposed to the death penalty and knew the Leopold and Loeb case would be a serious legal battle. The public was ready to put them both to death. Darrow stunned everyone by having Leopold and Loeb plead guilty. Doing so prevented a trial by jury, which Darrow knew would result in the death penalty. Instead, he argued his case in a 12-hour speech about the inhumanity of capital punishment, advising the court to overcome hate with love. He spoke for 12 hours! I bet he was good, though. Well, he must have been. The plea reportedly brought the judge to tears. I mean, sure, he must have gone off on some crazy tangents, like... 12 hours! The judge was probably crying because he was fucking hungry, tired, (laughs) pissed himself, needed a wee... But the plea reported brought him to tears, and when it came time for his decision, the justice sentenced Leopold and Loeb to life in prison plus 99 years. The crime of the century inspired multiple productions for the stage and screen, including the 1955 film Compulsion and the 1929 play Rope. Alfred Hitchcock later adapted the play into a taut thriller starring Jimmy Stewart. I mean, that's a play I don't want to say. 12 hour speech. No thanks. (laughs) Yeah, we put it in word for word. (laughs) As for the convicted criminals, Loeb was killed by an inmate in 1936. Leopold mourned his death, but had an active prison life, mastering multiple languages, teaching, even volunteering for a malaria study. He was released from prison in 1958. What? I don't know, right? Where would the 99 years go? Why is he out? And lived a quiet, scholarly life in Puerto Rico until the age of 66. Well, that's not what you signed up for. No. But, well, he did. Retirement cottage. So, thanks again for providing this quick slash and dash from thelineup.com. Stephanie Almazan wrote the article. Great stuff. And so, we have slashed. And now we're going to dash. Yeah, bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 